Hi, everyone. In this episode of our Spotlight podcast, I want to turn my attention to a rather local issue, uh, and that is uh, here in Michigan on November 6th of 2018, uh, among the things we will be uh, voting for is uh, Proposal 1, which, if passed, will legalize recreational marijuana and Michigan would become one of the next wave of states that has legal recreational marijuana. Michigan has had legal medical marijuana for some time. Now, you know, beyond my personal interest as a resident of Michigan, as uh, president here at ADE, we also have a a professional interest in uh, this issue. And so uh, I followed it uh, for a number of years as um, states uh, have uh, uh, legalized marijuana. And I've looked at um, some of the various studies that have come out of that. I've talked to people who are a lot smarter than I am about it. And um, and as it became uh, evident that we were going to be voting on it in Michigan, I really turned my attention to what that might mean for Michigan. Um, so I'm going to talk about that. In, you know, interestingly enough, I was in Maine a few weeks back. And now Maine has legal recreation of marijuana, has had for a couple of years. And um, it was interesting that they are are uh, currently tweaking uh, their laws. Some of the uh, things that they're finding uh, two years down the road uh, that need some adjustment. And it was just interesting to see that they're uh, a couple of years ahead of us. Also interesting to those of us in Michigan, and it's true in Maine as well, is that... Um, uh, Canada now tomorrow today as I record this is October sixteenth, October seventeenth. Uh, legal uh, marijuana will be legal across uh, the whole country of Canada, and of course we share a border with Canada as does Maine. So that's just sort of an interesting wrinkle to this, and I think it will be even more interesting if the proposal fails in Michigan, uh, where marijuana will be legal in Canada but still illegal here in Michigan. Uh, there's going to be some. I think significant focus on border issues, but anyway, let's uh, let's start first with some facts. What is it that we in Michigan here will be voting on? Proposal one, as it's written on the ballot, I was able to um, uh, I, I obtained a, an absentee ballot because I will be away from the state of Michigan on voting day, and so I was able to see what was on the ballot. And I and I, as I look at proposal one. Uh, If passed, this is what it would allow. Individuals 21 and older would be able to purchase and use marijuana and marijuana-infused edibles. Also, grow up to 12 marijuana plants for personal consumption. Now, there there will be a 10-ounce limit on possession on marijuana kept at residences. And any amount over 2.5 ounces has to be in a locked container. Um, there's some wording in the proposal about creating a state licensing system for marijuana businesses, uh, as well as uh, allowing a 10% tax. Uh, and this tax money would be dedicated to implementation costs, clinical trials, schools, roads, municipalities, etc. I'm going to have a little bit more to say about the specifics of the money here in a little bit. Um, Also uh, noteworthy is that uh, Proposal 1, if passed, would change several current violations from a criminal violation to a civil infraction. And it's a simple simple yes or no 
question on the ballot. Now, many of the polls that I've seen prior to the election indicate that this will probably pass. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I did an informal poll on uh, my Facebook page and talking to friends and family and colleagues. And uh, the folks I took to talk to were overwhelmingly in favor of legal recreational marijuana, overwhelmingly in favor of uh, passing uh, Proposal 1. Um, for a variety of reasons, including uh, one person who said to me this morning, um, I live and let live. If people want to smoke marijuana, they should be able to, and that's it. Um, so uh, uh, interesting uh, that in that small um, small sample size, uh, but uh, people were overwhelmingly in favor of it. So that being said, I did some homework. I looked at a variety of studies online. I looked at uh, newspaper articles, talking to people, all that kind of stuff. And I learned uh, I learned quite a bit uh, that I'd like to share with you. And then uh, hopefully uh, this information will help allow you uh, to make up your mind. One of the reasons that I think this is significant is the permanence of this kind of decision. Uh, you know, on the ballot, we're going to be voting for governors and senators and representatives and trustees and commissioners and the like. And we get a chance to do that every so often, every two years or four years or six years. We vote for different offices. So if we don't like the person who's in office now, we know we'll get a chance down the road to vote for somebody else and make that change. Uh, one of the thing, things that's significant, I think, with Proposal 1, as I say, is the permanence of it. And I'm fond of saying that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And uh, once uh, marijuana is legal and we get a little bit further down that road, it would be very difficult, I think, to undo that. Uh, of course, it can always be tweaked, but uh, undoing that. Down. So there is a, a sense of permanence here that that uh, isn't lost on me. So I wanted to make sure that I'm making an informed decision and I want to make sure that the listeners are making an informed decision. But let's start with the money. I mentioned uh, in the opening that uh, retail sales of marijuana and edibles will be subject to a 10% tax. Now, why, where is that money going to go? And how much money is that going to be? There was an article that I discovered yesterday on MLive online. Now, MLive is, an, is a news source here in Michigan. I found an article uh, online uh, where they indicated that the expected revenues in 2023, assuming that Proposal 1 passes, the expected revenues would be $288 million for the state in 2023. Now, that's uh, a significantly higher estimate than we've seen in the past. And if those numbers hold, it would break down as follows. $140 million of that money would be earmarked for school aid, $63 million for the Michigan Transportation Fund, and the rest would be divided as follows. $27 million to the counties, $27 million to the cities, $3 million to administer the program and to monitor the licensing program. 10 million 
for revenue sharing and $17 million would be earmarked for the general fund. Now, that's a lot of money. Uh, but a couple things worth noting. One is that nowhere in that did I see any additional spending on law enforcement, uh, which is significant. And I think we're going to touch a little bit on, on that as part of an unanswered question um, here in a few minutes. And the other thing is that while that's a lot of money, um, there's a significant argument to be made that the decision shouldn't be made, made based on money. And, and is, uh, is that enough money to make it worth it? Uh, there was a, a gentleman quoted in the article, a gentleman named Scott Greenlee, who is the leader of the opposition campaign, Healthy and Productive Michigan. And he said that the new estimates change nothing. I'm quoting him here. Quote, we're talking about a tiny half a drop in the bucket for the state budget, Greenlee said. And I think he speaks for people who feel that uh, this decision shouldn't be made based on the money, even if it is $134 million or $288 million, as the, the, the most recent estimates uh, indicate. Um, so I, I think that's worth noting as well. Now, the other... Let's let's uh, let's talk about some of these other articles that I found because they they really ran the gamut. So uh, I start with a an article I found in the Sunday issue of the Detroit Free Press a couple while uh, a couple weeks back. And the Detroit Free Press, if I can grab the article here, uh, came out in favor of proposal one. The headline of the article I saw was "Smoker or Not, Vote Yes on Legal Weed," and and now it went on. The, the Detroit Free Press went on to outline the arguments that they felt uh, were in favor of Proposal One, and these are arguments I think we've heard before, um, but but let's let's list them anyway. First and foremost was that prohibition doesn't work. And uh, it, uh, Free Press reports that 15% of the population in the state of Michigan uses marijuana. And I, I guess the gist is that because prohibition doesn't work, because people are using it anyway, we may as well make it legal and get some of the benefits of that. Um, enforcing illegal marijuana use consumes law enforcement resources that could be used elsewhere. Uh, related to law enforcement, the argument the Free Press makes is that current enforcement unfairly targets African Americans. It's reported that African Americans and white uh, folks use marijuana at the same rates, but African Americans are 4 to 10% more likely to be arrested. Uh, and so that supports the idea that legalizing marijuana uh, not only will allow municipalities to put law enforcement resources elsewhere, uh, but it will eliminate the unfair targeting of African Americans when it comes to marijuana use. The Free Press also goes on to note that um, 
the, the, the amount of revenue and how, how healthy that will be for a state that needs it. The article also uh, notes that uh, for two years following passage, uh, $20 million will be earmarked for research into the effectiveness of marijuana on combating uh, PTSD and other mental health issues for veterans. So those are the arguments outlined in the Detroit Free Press article that, that supports Proposal 1. But there, there's uh, quite a number of voices on the other side as well. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about an article I found in a different newspaper, and that is the Oakland Press. And the Oakland Press had a letter, a guest column, I should say, from a gentleman named Matthew Wilk. And Matthew Wilk is the treasurer of the Northville Public Schools Board of Education. And he wrote a column uh, titled, School Boards, Parents Should Oppose Proposal 1. And he raised the following arguments on... um, uh, on the anti side of proposal one, uh, he speaks of of the likelihood that with passage that more marijuana would find its way into schools. Um, there was some mention in his column of uh, edible snacks, uh, m- marijuana infused snacks that kids may unwittingly bring to school that may be passed from child to child and, and, and children may, may be um, ingesting marijuana in ways that they're not even aware of. Uh, secondly, he talks about uh, a very significant issue of vaping. Um, if you don't know what vaping is, those are the electronic cigarettes that are oftentimes used for uh, smoking marijuana. And uh, that, that is a, uh, a significant issue. I, I, I did some looking into vaping as well, and I have a few things I might want to say about that here in a few minutes. But, uh, but this gentleman, the treasurer for the Northville Public Schools Board of Education, comes out very strongly against this proposal. Um, uh, he indicates that one in, 16, one in six teens who use marijuana get addicted to it, uh, marijuana is the number one reason why kids enter treatment for substance abuse. Um, and also that an argument that we've heard uh, on the anti side is that the marijuana that is being used now is significantly stronger than marijuana that have may, may have been used by generations past. Uh, and, and that's something that uh, that we need to be aware of. Uh, so, so there are uh, there are significant arguments and significant voices on the anti side as well. Let's talk about vaping for just a minute, though. I I wanted to know a little bit more about that, and I found in the Journal of JAMA Pediatrics some numbers. One in eleven students have used marijuana in electronic cigarettes. That amounts to about 2.1 million in high school kids. And a adolescent that lives with a tobacco user is more likely to use marijuana in an electronic cigarette. And this is, you know, it's a little bit of a Wild West territory. Um, you know, so much so that the FDA recently uh, gave the five largest e-cigarette makers 60 days 
to provide plans to prevent underage use. So it's a it's a real significant concern and and there's not not a lot known about the long-term effects of this. And so that that is a real concern for the anti-marijuana advocates. Another article that I found that made arguments against proposal 1 uh, came from a report by an organization called Smart Approaches to Marijuana. And they had a report called, quote, Lessons Learned from Marijuana Legalization in Four U.S. States and the District of Columbia, unquote. Now, I saw this article. Uh, It's a summary of that report. And and the writer of the article uh, pulled some bullet points from that report to support her argument against legal marijuana. So I, I, I want to qualify some of this by saying I have not seen the entire report. So we may have to take some of this with a little bit of grain of salt. Um, but there, there were some eye-opening uh, statistics. Um, and so the, a part of the report was uh, asking adolescents for, about their past month's use of marijuana. And the report indicates that that this use continues to rise above the national average for youth aged 12 to 17 in states where marijuana is legal. Now, to be fair, I have seen other reports that don't support that theory, that though there is a fear that adolescent marijuana use will increase in these areas, that hasn't proven to be the case. But what has proven to be the case, and I think this is related or, or, or relevant not only to legal marijuana, but also the vaping issue I talked about a few minutes ago, is that something that is measured called perception of risk goes down. So uh, individuals find that that their perception of marijuana as a harmful drug uh, goes down, and it's, and it's seen as less harmful than it used to be. That's interesting, especially when we talk about the the current strains of marijuana being stronger uh, than they may have been in generations past. And the interesting thing, you know, we do our own surveys here of of substance use, and in most of the surveys that we run indicate uh, over the last several years increased report of not only marijuana use uh, but other drug use as well. Uh, so this idea that uh, a perception of risk, I think, is something worth looking into. But in terms of specific locations where marijuana is legal, uh, this report, the lessons learned from marijuana legalization in four U.S. states and D.C., uh, identifies, for example, in Alaska, school suspensions for marijuana use and possession increased 141 percent from 2015 to 2017. In central Oregon, um, uh, visits to hospital emergency rooms for marijuana poisoning have increased 2,000%. Colorado law enforcement officials uh, report a 50% increase in uh, illegal grow operations in the rural areas of Colorado. And also in Colorado, uh, the four-year average now for marijuana-related traffic deaths is 66% higher after legalization. So on the one hand, we have the arguments that prohibition isn't working, people are using 
Uh, there may be a, a, a better and safer and fairer and more economically viable way of doing this. And by legalizing recreational marijuana, we'll be able to utilize uh, law enforcement resources in other places. Uh, we're, we're going to redu- reduce the criminality of marijuana um, and, and hopefully reduce the unfair treatment of African-Americans when it comes to marijuana use. And we're going to raise a lot of money that's going to help the schools and the roads and all the municipalities. And it's going to provide for treatment and, and so on, more research. On the other hand, we have the argument that marijuana, there's still a lot, a lot to learn about marijuana, that legalization of marijuana may put adolescents at further risk, uh, that there are uh, significant law enforcement challenges related to legal law enforcement. So the, the point is, is that there's a lot of information out there. I would encourage you to find it uh, before you make this decision on Proposal 1. But there's also, you know, some questions that that just haven't been answered. Um, you know, one, one of the issues that first came to mind when I thought about legal recreational marijuana here in the state of Michigan is what does that mean for the workplace? What does it mean for employers and employees? Uh, as an employer, how are we going to handle uh, uh, legal marijuana? How does it differ from alcohol? Um, and of course, there are some physiological factors that are different. So, um, and I think there are still some unanswered questions there. The fact remains that marijuana is illegal on the federal level. Uh, marijuana is still a Schedule One drug. Those things are, are going to have to be resolved at, at some point. There's a conflict between state law and federal law that's just going to have to be resolved at some point, but it's not resolved now. So I was looking into, into this idea of marijuana in the workplace, and um, I found a, a great uh, article, which also happened to be in the uh, Detroit Free Press. Um, First of all, it indicated that uh, positive marijuana tests have been on the rise in the last five years. From 2013 to 2017, there was an increase of positive marijuana tests in the workplace from 2.1% to 2.6%. That may not seem like a lot, but I think it speaks to this idea of perception perception of risk and how the whole conversation and landscape of marijuana is changing. Uh, but I want to just read a couple quotes from this really lengthy article. Uh, this is the, uh, by the way, the uh, September 23rd, 2018 uh, Detroit Free Press. Um, if you want to uh, go into the Free Press archives, you might be able to find this article. Um, but the, the gist of the article summed up in a, in a quote by uh, Michelle Lee Flores, who is a Los Angeles labor attorney. And, uh, uh, and I'm just going to read her quote here. The first four months of recreational marijuana being legal in Canada, there was a lot of a sense of empowerment from people saying, it's legal, you can't do anything to me. But she goes on to say that it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. And in fact, 
I'm going to read to you from the legislation, the act itself, not what's on the ballot. The ballot is sort of truncated just to highlight some of the some of the uh, uh, law that will be enacted. But I'm going to read to you directly from the act as it relates to employers and employees. Quote, this act does not require an employer to permit or accommodate conduct otherwise allowed by this act in any workplace or on the employee's property. This act does not prohibit an employer from disciplining an employee for violation of a workplace drug policy or for working while under the influence of marijuana. This act does not prevent an employer from refusing to hire, discharging, disciplining, or otherwise taking an adverse employment action against a person with respect to hire, tenure, terms, conditions, or privileges of employment because of that person's violation of a workplace drug policy or because that person was working while under the influence of marijuana. So it is, in fact, not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You are not free to do anything that you want uh, it, it just because marijuana now may be legal. Um, also, the, you know, the article goes on to point out something I mentioned earlier, and that is for employers who have federal contracts or uh, have employees who are licensed through federal agencies, there, there's no gray area there. Um, the federal government considers marijuana an illegal substance and, and has a zero tolerance policy. The article mentioned specifically Ford Motor Company and Fiat Chrysler, both large employers here um, here in Michigan. And, uh, and both companies say that a positive test will still disqualify a candidate for employment. So now that's, again, we, the article called it a gray area, and I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, marijuana, as, as I think most people know, uh, stays in the system for a length of time. Uh, and so uh, how do we determine uh, whether somebody is working under the influence of marijuana? How is this going to impact on workplace policies and procedures? Um, it's a, it's, it really is, is going to be interesting uh, to see uh, how this works on, in a real-world situation once, uh, once this proposal passes. There's, a, there's other questions as well, and including uh, uh, driving under the influence. I mentioned uh, that in, in Colorado, the, the uh, mar- marijuana-related traffic deaths have gone up. There's a lot of uh, attention and emphasis being put on, on roadside testing now, trying to uh, find a, a reliable and consistent roadside testing protocol similar to, say, an alcohol-related traffic stop. Uh, that doesn't seem to to exist now, although I know there's a pilot program here in Michigan and, and in other places, and I know that there's an emphasis on training uh, patrol officers to identify somebody who may be under the influence of marijuana. Um, but it, it while impairment may be impairment, uh, marijuana and alcohol uh, are certainly two different types of substances, and testing for that is necessarily two maybe two different kinds of testing. So um, all of these unanswered questions go back to my idea 
uh, my concern uh, for the permanence of this. Um, you know, we, we may be entering into uncharted territory. Um, I, I humorously said I was at a farmer's market in uh, Lansing, Michigan, not so long ago. And as I walked around, there were the typical kinds of things you would see in a farmer's market. There was fruit stands and vegetable stands and essential oil uh, stands and, you know, people selling their crafts and so on. And I was uh, jokingly telling the people that I was with that if Proposal 1 passes, uh, this this farmer's market is going to look a lot different in 2019 uh, when uh, the when marijuana is legal and marijuana will be in uh, many different types of consumables. Uh, and while I said that in, in jest, there is some real truth to that. It will, will really be uh, a different landscape. And, uh, and I want to just make sure that people have the information to make an educated decision when they go into the voting booth on November 6th. So I hope this was helpful. If you have uh, an opinion, either pro or con, on this information, I would love to hear it. And uh, please uh, stay tuned for further podcasts from us. Um, But uh, as everyone uh, has been saying, uh, go out and vote. November 6th is uh, only about three weeks away. Uh, Go out and exercise your civic duty. Uh, Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ADE Spotlight podcast. If you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts, or if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover, please uh, feel free to drop us a line. We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out ADE Solutions, a new website from ADE. There you will find a variety of quizzes and assessments covering a whole range of behavior health related topics, including substance use, gambling, mental health disorders, eating disorders, and the like. If you have concerns about yourself or a loved one in these areas, uh, please uh, access the website and check out the assessments. Or if you simply want to expand your knowledge on these topics, on the education tab on that website, we have a variety of quizzes uh, as well as other podcasts similar to the one that you just listened to. You can find that at www.ade.solutions or you can link to it from our corporate website, www.adeincorp.com.